Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. So we're in Acts chapter 2, and we start in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants. Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Pause right there. First thing I think that we need to talk about is that there is a problem, and disciples, true disciples, know what the problem is. As we talked about last week, because we looked at the first 13 verses last week, there's, there's a miracle going on here. People are hearing their own language. I, and I've said before, I don't like the translation tongues here, because I think it obfuscates what we're really talking about, which is languages. Now, the word for tongue in Greek is the word for language. But these are languages. People are hearing the disciples in their own language. And as I said last week, it's my opinion, can't prove it, my opinion that, the miracle, that, that it wasn't that the people, that the disciples were speaking other languages. I think they were just speaking, and people heard their own language. I don't know that, that it completely breaks down if it doesn't work that way, uh, but as they rattle off, as there are 11 disciples left, 12, I guess, if we count Matthias in chapter 1, 12, 12 apostles and more than 12 languages listed. Now, admittedly, other disciples that aren't apostles could have been speaking, but that'd be very chaotic, right? 17 people or, or 20 people all speaking at the same time, all in different languages at the top of their lungs. I just think that everybody heard their own language. Um, The apostles are speaking, people are hearing, it clearly are hearing their own language. And it's a great opportunity for Peter to capitalize on what's going on and tell them why. And we looked at the prophet Joel last week. Israel had been waiting for the great day of the Lord to come that the prophet Joel prophesied. So we keep in mind, they'd also been waiting for a Messiah, right? And they missed him. The three years that Jesus ministered among them, and most of Israel missed what was going on. So we keep that in mind. So here's the day of the Lord, and they're probably going to miss that as well. Although Joel had been talking about that, no surprise that, that, that they wouldn't have known off the top of their head that this was what Joel was talking about. Israel had a problem. They couldn't see or understand the world as it really was around them, boy, that, that, that is a timeless truth. That is us today in our world. 
Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, well, we, we read what leads into this. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and they tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. And he replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of, of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. We, they wanted to sign the Messiah walked among them and did miracles, and they didn't get it. And Jesus' point is you guys can, can accurately fr- predict the weather even back then, but you can't see literally what's going on around you. And I think that we're no different today. I'm not picking on, on the first church of Christ in Elkins. I think, I think our world, and I think churches around our world, struggle with the fact that we live in tumultuous times and they distract us sometimes from what's really going on in our true need. Do we know the times that we live in? Now, I'm not talking about politics or war or economies or disasters. Do we recognize that our world has a spiritual problem and that it is a problem? And this is where I think that the church is somewhat failing on a whole. This world doesn't think that it's sick. It doesn't think that sin is a problem. I would argue that our world is more sinful now than it was 50, 100, 150. We're certainly more with with the invention of internet and television and all this other mass communication. We can put sin on display in ways that our world has never done before. And, and that can encourage other people to sin. And so I know somebody's going to say, Jason, the world's always been sinful. Yeah, but we didn't display it like this and encourage people to sin like this. And so I actually do think that we, we are more sinful than we have been. And yet too many churches feel like the solution to this is to soft-pedal it and to downplay it and say it's not that big of a deal. There's a problem with sin in the world and how much help can the church provide if the church is saying this thing that jesus died for don't worry about it it doesn't matter it's not it's not a big deal we need to address the fact that the world is lost sin is why the world is lost and pretending that the problem is there isn't going to make the problem that the problem isn't there isn't going to make the problem go away one of my favorite writers that i quote a lot francis schaefer you know, his point was to bring people to the point where they recognize that they were lost, what he called a point of despair. Get them to realize that they are completely sunk, that they are lost, that they are damned. Somebody said, what if, what if in doing that, you depress them so much they, they try to take their own life? He says, you think they're not lost if they don't get to that point? You think that they're in a worse place because of that? Uh, if the world is lost and doesn't know it, they're in a horrible place. Uh, it, it, you, we cannot underestimate how bad it is to be lost and not know it. If we're lost and we're told that we're lost and it depresses us, at least maybe we'll do something about it. But the world is lost and doesn't even realize it. I don't always know what to say. This, is, this isn't a game. We can't pull our punches. The end result is very final, and I don't always know what to say. It's a t- because, because, because it seems so important, right? 
We're not talking about you should change your favorite sport team. You should change your political party. We're not talking about things that are that inconsequential. We're talking about eternity. And I wish, and knowing that it's that important, the right answer is not since I don't know what to say, I won't say anything. The right answer is to try our best. My prayers, typically, when I'm meeting somebody new, um, God, give me an opportunity to share Christ. Give me eyes that see the opportunity, see a decent opening. And then, by all means, guide my speech, because I don't know what to say, and I'm scared. And that, that, pray, that, that goes on in so much of my background thought, because I'm not good at this. But that prayer has helped me through a number of situations. Opportunities, eyes, speech, wisdom. I don't have the answers to the world's problems, but I know who does, and I know where to find them. I know that not everybody will accept Jesus. In fact, if anything, since the Bible says that small is the way and narrow the gate that leads to life, I'm kind of resigned to the fact that most of the people I tell about Jesus will probably reject him, but the few that accept him, man, that's worth it for them. I at least want to give people the chance to hear about him because if they never get to hear about them, they can't accept Christ as their savior. I want the people that I love to at least hear that he has the power to save them. And, and I do pray that, that they hear him, that, I, that God will communicate through me, like, like, like Acts chapter 2, that the people could hear in their own language. My prayer is that people can hear the gospel through me in a way that they get, because I can't do that. I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know what's going to connect with them, but I don't need to have all those answers. That's why there's a Holy Spirit. I want God to work through me, um, and, and he has the power to do that. So our world has a problem, and, and true disciples know the times. They get the power. They, they, they know that there's a problem. True disciples, how do we, how do we get there? We have, to, we have to know the Christ. Keep reading with me. Verse 22. This is our long passage. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you, confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day but he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne seeing what was ahead he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to the grave nor that nor did his body see decay God has raised this Jesus to life and we're all witnesses of this fact Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, 
And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. David's words were not about himself. That, that, that part is clear. So who, who's he talking about, says Peter? This is tough in Greek. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of times I say, this is tough in English, let's look at the Greek. Here, the Greek doesn't help us as much because the Greek is quoting the Hebrew. Um, and, and in the Hebrew, we have two different words for Lord. When we read, the Lord said to my Lord, now those are the same words in English and they're the same words in Greek, but they're not the same words in Hebrew, in Isaiah, what, what, uh, uh, what is quote, I, I said Isaiah, it's, it's Psalms. Uh, it, it's, not the, uh, it's not the same word in, in the Hebrew because there's Lord, God, that's the first Lord. Uh, and it's a different word than what you would say, the word that was used to describe the king uh, or, or husband. Quite frankly, the word, believe it or not, in, in, in the Hebrew language, the word for husband is sometimes the word for Lord. Um, so the Lord said to my Lord, David's talking about his Lord. God, God said to my Lord. So who does David call Lord? And that's Peter's point. Who would King David, the greatest king of Israel, who would David look up to and say, this is my Lord? And it's Jesus. Peter knew the scriptures. And Peter could relate to Israel on a, on, on a deep level because of that. Now, reading, reading into this, I'm reminded of, 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 I had a friend named Clayton back in Illinois. And, uh, and I did a little college teaching, Greek, mostly. Uh, and Clayton called me up and said, hey, I, I, can you help me out with something tonight? And I said, I, I've got class tomorrow, and I'm, I'm prepping for class. And he said, can't you get somebody else to do that, to, 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 to kind of help you with that tomorrow or fill in? I said, Clayton, I would love for you to find somebody in southern Illinois that's good on present active indicative Greek verbs in contractual form. Um, if, if, you, if you get me somebody, he said, oh, I guess I won't see you tonight. <laughs> um, and that's just the first few weeks of Greek class. Anybody that studied Greek knows present active indicative. That's, that's what you learn first. Um, I, I wish I was an expert on something. I know Greek. I taught it at a college level, but I had Greek professors who were brilliant, and I'm not those guys. I studied Coptic, and there's not a lot of people that studied Coptic, and I taught a little Coptic. And I'd love to say that I'm a Coptic expert, but I got nothing on the guy that taught me. I, the, I, I, I would... I, I would be terrified that the minute that I said that, I, that they would send me off to some Bible society thing and I would find out that I know nothing compared to these guys. That makes me kind of sad that I'd love to be an expert in something. I was a terrible locksmith. Terrible. I can't pick a... I, I'm so bad at lock picking. Um, I wish I was good, but I'm not... I, I know about locks, but I... I, I mean, there's certified registered locksmiths and then there's certified professional locksmiths and then there's certified master locksmiths and then there was my boss who wrote that test, Glo- globally, globally. So that, 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 that gives people the, C, the, the CML license, and he wrote the test for all of them. And I had to take that, that, that CRL test three times to pass, just to get the, the lowest level. I wish I was an expert in something. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good at some things. But I'm not great at, <laughs> but I'm not an expert in, in everything. It, it is hard so, so in Southern Illinois, then, in teaching linguistics, I started reading up on 
sociology. Because I took sociology in college. I like sociology. And there might have been some overlap, and I might have had the chance to teach sociology. So I was reading up on these sociology texts because I'm not an expert in that. You do have to study if you want to be good at something, right? It doesn't... Yeah, yeah, I've been doing a little bit of bookshelf building, woodworking, and boy, I'm not good. They don't, the, the, the first ones are rough. And I'm, and I'm just resigned to the fact that the early ones are not going to look great, that with practice I will get better. It is hard to teach what you don't know. We live in a very lazy day and age. One of the ways that we see that is people don't want to be experts. In things they want, they just want to take the easy route, and they don't want to put in the study, and they don't want to do the work. And we've got on our phones, we can look anything up online that we need it, so we don't have to remember it. You know as well as I do that when, if 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 the cash register at Walmart breaks down, they have no idea how much change you're going to get back, because if that if that didn't, you know, and I, I <laughs> we know that so, something came to, uh, uh, something came to like nine ninety or something like that. I don't whatever it was. I gave somebody like $21 back and and they were they were like but but that oh it was I think it came to 16 bucks and I gave them 21. And they were like why not just give me 20? Uh, Cuz I don't want the four ones back. I, I I just want the five back. And they just looked at me. And the look was amazing when they typed it in and saw that it was a $5 bill coming back and it was this how did you know that? And how did you not? And that's, the world that, and, so, and that's the world that we live in, and I'm not even making fun of them because it's not their fault, right? My locksmith buddy Richard went to a Tom Petty concert back in Urbana, and, he came, and he, when he came back the next day, he was just laughing. Middle of the concert, Tom Petty said, stopped the concert and said, I want to talk with the guy that decided that I'm classic rock. <laughs> he said, I'm still performing. When did I become old and classic? When, when did the Bible become old and something that other people study but not us because we have 2,000 years of history of people who could barely read who didn't have an education who spent their lives studying this book and knowing it and living it and we live in a calculator day and age and we don't know this book and we assume that somebody else's job is to learn this book but this book is the most important book that's ever been written and it changes lives and it changes the world and it's the roadmap to salvation and we decided somebody else's job to know disciples know the christ we cannot share what we don't know and so how well do we know jesus do you believe that jesus is the christ why or, or do we hope that he's the Christ? Disciples know the Christ. They know his life. They know his death. They know his burial and resurrection. They know the gospel. They have to because that's what it means to be a disciple. It's what makes us disciples. How well do we know our Lord and Jesus? So the world has a problem. We know the problem of the world. We know Jesus. And we know then, therefore, the solution to the problem. Do we not? Look with me at verse 37. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When the people heard that, oh, let's hit 36, just as a reminder. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. People were cut to the heart. Why were they cut to the heart? Because they were convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. That was, that was the defining moment. Verse 36 is, is an essential verse in the Bible. It's essential to our faith. Um, that means Jesus is Lord and Christ. That doesn't just mean that he's Savior, but that he should be in charge. That's what Lord means. And it's not just head knowledge. It cut them to the heart. It wasn't just an academic realization. The people were convicted of their sin and their need for grace and restoration. Having presented the problem to the world, Peter told them about Jesus, and that's not enough. If it was enough, it would end at verse 36. Because whether you believe it or not, Jesus is the Christ. Your belief has nothing to do with that. Jesus is the Christ. I don't care if you believe. I I do care because I care about you. But it doesn't change whether or not he's... The Christ. It's not up to a vote. This isn't a democratic thing. If the whole world quits believing, he's still the Christ. The solution to mankind's problem isn't, therefore, that Jesus is the Christ, because he already is. And there's an awful lot of people out there that are lost. Most of the people are lost. The solution is a relationship with Christ. The solution is not head knowledge, but, but action that comes from our heart. The crowds were convicted. They believed. They believed, based on verse 36, Peter's conclusion, concluding statement, that Jesus was the Christ. It wasn't enough. They also needed obedience. That's the next step. They needed to follow, not just believe. Peter tells them the next steps are repentance and baptism. Very straightforward on this. That's what comes next. If you want Jesus to be Lord of your life, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, if you want the gift of the Holy Spirit, repentance and baptism. Can't make it much more blunt than that. Repentance is not just saying you're sorry. Repentance definition is to change your behavior based upon what you believe. You believe and then you repent. I think that I'm in the wrong. Now I'm going to act in the right. I'm going to change my behavior. I wasn't following Jesus. Now I'm going to turn the other direction and follow Jesus. That's repentance. It does no good to say that I think Jesus is the Christ and I'm not going to follow him. Repentance is changing our behavior. Baptism shows the death, the burial. As we're baptized in the water, Paul says it's like a burial. And then we're raised to new life. The way that Jesus died and was raised, baptism shows the death, the resurrection. It, free, it cleanses us. It's like a bath. It, free, it, it, it cleanses the sin from us. You cannot easily separate repentance and baptism biblically from forgiveness in the Holy Spirit. I would argue that you can't. You can't separate them. They're very clearly, they go together. We call this obedience. So what would we call it if somebody doesn't do these things? Obvious. It's always funny that we say, oh, you have, to, you have to repent of your sins to be a Christian. Everybody knows that. What would I call a person who calls himself a Christian, never goes to church, never prays, never reads the Bible? I'm not sure I'd call that a Christian. The church is God's gift to us. Repentance is part of the process. But it's always funny to me that people will take all of these other things, but baptism, it's in its own category. Peter doesn't put it in its own category. Repentance and baptism. Forgiveness of sins and gifts of the Holy Spirit. What do I call someone who hasn't done this? Di- disobedient. Let's be very blunt, not pull punches. We're called to obey Christ. 
Repentance and, and baptism are part of how we show our obedience to Christ, making him Lord of our life. When we are obedient, we are given forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The solution is not Christ. The solution is following the Christ. It's a subtle distinction, but we have to recognize that because if we're not following Christ, it's not our solution. And so we finish up this, this passage. I want, to look, I want to look, therefore, in verse 40. Just read a couple more verses. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So knowing the solution isn't enough. You have to act on it. You have to, you have to actively follow Christ. Uh, we have to live it. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, what does that mean? Well, it says what it means. Though, those who accepted his message, and he told them, repent and be baptized, those who accepted his message were baptized. And 3,000 were added to their number that day, about how many people were baptized? About 3,000. You wouldn't, you wouldn't add people that didn't accept the message. You were clearly talking about the ones that did accept the message. There were 3,000 baptisms that day. Wow. that just. But, but it's the start of the church. Acts chapter 2 is a huge deal. I mean, it, it is one of the biggest chapters in the Bible on, on life-changing, game-changing. Uh, many people like to do things their way. But the whole point of the Lord is doing things his way. So, repent and be baptized is his way. If I decide, well, that doesn't apply to me, is he really Lord? If I really want to do things my way instead of his way, what's spelled out for me, why, 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 then I don't want him Lord. A lot of times then we've talked about this is just wanting his stuff. You know, Francis Chan talks about the people that would love to go to heaven and never have to deal with God when they get there. They want God's stuff. They want his mansions and streets of gold. They just don't want God. But that's not loving God. We don't want to be in love with his stuff. We want to be in love with him. And, if he, and we want to make him Lord. And if he says, this is how you make me Lord, then we listen and we obey. We live very much in a faith-only movement. And, and, and because we redefine our terms, and we decide that faith is what you think, which it isn't at all. That's not what the Greek or the Hebrew mean. But in English, we've made faith this head knowledge word. We've decided that that's the kind of a gospel that we want, is a head knowledge gospel. Um, if you believe in God and pray a sinner's prayer and ask Jesus into your heart, things that I don't see in the Bible, then you're good and you don't have to worry about it ever again and you're fine. Um, you know, we, you know, we've had some televangelists say we don't even have to talk about sin anymore, which is crazy because Christ died to free us from sin. The Bible calls sin a problem. The Bible says we need a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. And it has to be on his terms. It's a covenant relationship. A covenant means there are terms. And we don't get to decide, well, I don't want those terms. Well, then you don't want Christ. It's one of the, it, it, it's his terms or no terms. Now, somebody's going to say, Jason, be careful, don't, don't teach saved by works. Absolutely true. We cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot earn a relationship with God, of course. But it's not just head knowledge. It's not just what we think. It's never been belief only. James says, so, paraphrase, so what if you believe in God? Demons believe in God 
and they're in hell. So believing in God isn't enough. And this is why the New Testament looks back at Abraham multiple times and, doesn't, and, and points out that Abraham believed God, which is very different than believed in God. Genesis tells us Abraham believed God four times in the New Testament. We're reminded that that's a big deal, that that's the foundation, not believing in God, but believing God. Because he believed God, he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. He was willing to put his faith into action to show that he believed, in, that he believed God, not just believed in him. It's never been about belief only. It's got to be more, and it's not just an act of God that saves us. Because if it was just an act of God that saves us, everybody would be saved, right? God wants everyone to be saved. Everyone is not saved. There are two options. Either God is not strong enough to get what he wants, or God doesn't get what he wants because it's not up to him. He's put it in our hands. Do we want to live with him forever or not? We get to choose. And so we see what we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 40. Peter pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. It's not just up to God, is it? Save yourselves by choosing Jesus. The solution to man's problem is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It does no good if we ignore him. It does no good to say that we're a Christian and then do our own thing. Your being here this morning isn't a guarantee. Coming to church is, is a great start. Church, prayer, Bible reading, the big three. They've been the big three for 2,000 years. They're a great starting point. We just have to make sure that we don't make them the end point. They help us get a relationship with God through Jesus. They don't give us the relationship with God. They equip us. But we still have to follow him ourselves. Lordship Lordship is when we are actively following him. We have to ask ourselves, are we actively following God? And then the harder question, there's a harder question even beyond that. Does God think that we're actively following him? That, that's the one that matters, right? Does God think that I'm following him? Does God see me as a disciple? Does God see me as a follower of Christ? That's the, that's the only question in the universe that matters. Does God see that I'm following Jesus? Because if I think that I am and he doesn't, I'm wrong. It matters. It matters that we follow. That doesn't mean that we don't have the assurance. It doesn't mean that we live in constant doubt. We can, we can look at the Bible. We can look at our hearts. And we can know whether or not we have made Christ Lord of our life. That's the call today. If you haven't made Christ Lord of your life, we'd like to invite you to do that today. Our hymn of commitment is hymn number 332. Is Jesus Lord of your life or is he just head knowledge?